0: Well, good morning. Uh, if you're here for the first time, if you're watching with us online, know that we're so glad you're with us today. Uh, before we dive in, I want to uh, remind you that next weekend is our official one-year birthday as a church. Yeah, yeah. And so, as a mean, yeah, as a means of celebration, uh, we're going to have food for everyone uh, after the service. Uh, and if you were here last week. Uh, rest assured, we're using a different catering option um, based on crowd favorites, and so hopefully it'll be a good time, all right? So, uh, so today, this is an opportunity to invite a friend and join us as we celebrate uh, what God has done and, re- and what we hope to see God do in 2021. Uh, and so we're going to jump right back into the Psalms today. You know, after Christmas, we started a series in the Psalms titled, The God Who Restores, Seeing the Restoring Nature of God. And today, we're officially halfway through our series. You know, the first two Psalms uh, in Psalm 61 and Psalm 62, they were Psalms of lament. Uh, Last week in Psalm 63 was coming out of a time of lament with David, but it was filled with hopeful expectation in the midst of a dark season for David. Uh, And then this week is similar to last week, but with some differences uh, that we'll get to in a second. And then the last three psalms of our series starting next week are full of joyful praise and thanksgiving, calling on God to do a mighty work. But as I said, today is our halfway point. Uh, we're still in this mixture of lament and hopeful expectation. Uh, and just to be frank with you, uh, several months ago while we were, when I was, we were planning this series, uh, this was the psalm that had a big question mark. For me, like, it would be way easier just to kind of skip over this psalm. Uh, it's not the first psalm I would naturally send people to if they just want to be encouraged, um, I mean, you read it, and you're kind like, uh, of like, "What do we do with this? Like, can we get a can we get a guest preacher maybe this week?" Um, but as we know from Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, God's word says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And because of that, here at New City Church, we don't skip over uh, hard passages that, may, uh, that don't naturally just make us feel good when we read them. You know, in fact, as I just read, we can know and trust that Psalm 64 is breathed out by God uh, and is profitable for us. It corrects us, it reproves us, and it trains us towards righteousness. So, so let's go ahead and read Psalm 64. It says, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking who can see them. They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search, for the inward mind and the heart of man are deep, deep, but God shoots his arrow at them suddenly. They are wounded suddenly. Uh, they are brought to ruin with their tongues turned against them. Uh, all who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. So that's God's word for us today. Uh, how's that for a little encouragement? Okay. And you may be thinking, wait a second, we thought this was a mixture of lament and hopeful expectation, uh, like Psalm 63, kind of like last week's sermon. Uh, And then I say, yes, it is. Um, But I also said it was a little different. Um, You know, last week had the first verse of his circumstance and the rest was mostly hopeful expectation. And this week is mostly surrounding his circumstances uh, with two verses of hopeful expectation. You know, at a first reading of this psalm, um, you know, if you've been watching the news or looked on social media, a lot of this language, it just kind of shows up in this psalm. You know, it has also been a lot over the past few weeks all over uh, from all different news sources. And I want to assure you, I'm not bringing this up as a political thing, but I am bringing it up because when we hear this psalm, you know, it's really easy for us to have a bias and a preconceived idea based, you know, just kind of affects the way we read the Bible. And just as a reminder for how we read and study God's word, we don't look at scripture through the lens of our culture. We look at our culture through the lens of scripture. There's a very distinct difference because whatever lens is closer to our eye will affect the way we look at the other. And so we have to use God's word as our glasses that help us to understand our culture and not use our culture to help us see and understand God's word. Uh, And so let let me be very clear. We do not ignore culture. In fact, as Christians, we should be greatly engaged with culture, seeking to shape our culture, but we must always use God's word as our foundation and our starting point and not our culture. And so I want to point out some of these words and phrases that are in this psalm um, that you may have heard on the news over the past year. Right, that may affect how we read this psalm. I mean, this is what, this is what the psalm says. It says uh, we see mobs and enemies and secret plots, shooting from ambush and evil purposes, seeking out injustice. This is just some of the language. No matter, and so no matter what news channel you watch, and no matter what social media platform you use, and no matter what opinion you hold about all that is going on in the world, a lot of this language has just been thrown around over the past few weeks and months. And so unfortunately... But maybe providentially, we have some. Uh, we have seen many very vivid and real-life illustrations of Psalm 64 over this past year. But uh, just because of the heavy nature of our world, in order for me to explain mobs uh, and ambushes and secret plots and shooting arrows, as a contrast, uh, I'm going to use a little bit more of a lighthearted illustration, okay? Um, you know, for Christmas, uh, my mom got our kids a bucket of snowballs, Um, that were made uh, to have snowball fights, but they're actually not snow. They're really like baseball sized cotton balls that you just have a little bit of weight to them and uh, so you can throw them. Uh, Well, because of that, at our house, we've been having snowball snowball fights. And without fail, it becomes the kids versus daddy. Um, And it's great, right? They try to sneak up on me. They try to have these secret plans to get me. Uh, I taught them the trick to throw the ball up in the air. And then while that ball is up in the air, you just kind of peg them with the other. And so that was fun. Um, you just kind of peg them in the face with the second ball. It's great. I love it. Um, You know, you can throw a a ball as hard as you can at a three-year-old, nail the three-year-old in the face, and they just laugh, and nobody gets hurt. You know, it's basically a snowball fight uh, without getting cold, wet, and plastered in the face with a hard-packed snowball that turns into ice when the heat of your hands melts it together. So if you ever come to our house... Which you're all welcome anytime. Um, Just beware, you may get pegged in the face uh, with a baseball-sized cotton ball, and don't say, I didn't warn you, okay? Just see it as an act of love, okay? But although light and fluffy, and pun intended, um, we all know this is not what's happening in this psalm. Because the ammunition in this psalm was intended to hurt and wound. But something I want to point out before we dive into this psalm that is very important is to notice the ammunition of the evildoers in our passage because we see this language of swords and arrows and ambush and shooting suddenly without fear. But what is so important for us to see that all of this is connected to is it is connected to words. Notice what it says in these few verses, how it's connected to speech. Verse 3 says, "...who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows." Verse 4, shooting from ambush uh, at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. These arrows they're shooting are the arrows of bitter words. And look at verse 5. It says, they hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking who can see them? And so when we think of this picture of uh, this ambush and mobs and shooting arrows and sharpening swords, the picture we need to have in our heads in relation to the use of our words is the picture of physical mobs and ambushes that we've seen in our country and world throughout history. And not how we often want to think of our words, uh, which are often, we, we think are often like fluffy cotton balls that we can whack people in the face with without consequences. And, you know, one of the great lies told to our children By our culture, is that sticks and stones can break our bones, but words will never hurt us. Let me be very clear that is a very sick, bold faced lie that has been ingrained into our culture that makes people think they can shoot harsh words at people, and if they can't take it, they need to then toughen up. No, the Bible is very, very clear words are destructive. Our words affect people deeply. You know, when David says, Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy, in verse one, the dread of his enemy that was affecting his life were his enemy's bitter words. Was he also under physical attack? Possibly. But that's not what he emphasized in this psalm. Uh, that was, those were what, he, what he emphasized uh, were not the arrows that pierce his body and draw blood, but rather the bitter arrows of words that were piercing his soul. So as a stark warning that we see from David's lament, that we see from David's attack, leads us to our main idea, which today is a question. Are our words taking life, or are they giving life? You know, the book of James speaks very clearly about our use of words. In fact, James states the often quoted verse, Faith without works is dead. And then he immediately goes, the very next verse, he goes into taming the tongue. And the power and influence our speech has, and the struggle for us to control our words. Speaking of our inability to control our words, calling it a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Saying with our words, we can both bless and curse. We can both take and destroy life with our words. And also, we can build up and give life with our words. Which is how we're going to divide our time today. Seeing the extremes of words in our two points. Number one, wicked words. And number two, gospel words. Our our words are either grace to those who hear, that give life and can bless, that can soften hearts and change the world with with incredible truth. Or they can be, as we see in this psalm, like bitter, sharp arrows that can wound and hurt and take and steal life. So I want to go back through this psalm. A few verses at a time, like we always do, just to make sure we fully understand this psalm. And so I want you to pay close attention to a lot of the language and the phrasing in this psalm, because I'm going to adapt a lot of this language as we get further into our time, but specifically in our second point. And so look back at verse one. David says, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint, preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. You know, a few things here. Um, We don't know the exact setting of what's going on around him with this psalm. You know, this psalm is titled generically. Um, Some place this psalm uh, in the same setting as Psalm 63 with uh, David fleeing from Absalom. Um, But what we do know, uh, based out of this, based out of our passage, is that David's not really in the happiest of moods. You know, Uh, in verse one, he cries out to God, prays to God, and says, "Hear in, hear me in my complaint." David is going to God and sharing his trouble, which should encourage us and remind us that we can go to God with anything, even our complaints. David here is sharing his trouble, his issues about other people. It's his trouble with his enemies that calls him dread, that it says, and are trying to take life from him. And as I said earlier, uh, whether it's physically taking his life uh, to end his life or mentally and emotionally taking the life out of him, we don't know. You know I personally think it could be both. But what we see David emphasize more in this psalm that we need to pay attention to, pay more attention to, are the effects the words his enemies, David's enemies, are having on him. Leading us to our first point that I pulled from the language of the heading Uh, wicked words. Number one, wicked words. You know, the heading in my Bible, in our Bibles, in the ESV Bible says, hide me from the wicked. Uh, And the tactics of the wicked people in this psalm are words, they're wicked words. In this point, over the, next few verses, I want, over the next few verses, I want to point out the different types of wicked words we see David complain about that are so deeply affecting him. So look back at verse 2 again uh, to see our first one. Number two, Verse 2, it says, Hide me from the secret plots of the, of the wicked from the throng of evildoers. You know, the, the first type of wicked words we see here are 1A, uh, secret words. Uh, specifically, he says in verse 2, secret plots of the wicked from the throng of, of evildoers, which is basically like a crowd of people. Uh, to say it another way, we compare it, this to gossip or, or maybe speaking with evil intent, talking behind people's backs. These are the things you don't say on social media, but you say behind closed doors. doors and it says they're wicked words. Or we we could say they're whistle- w- wicked words. Gossip and speaking behind people's backs are evil and they're not of the Lord. Uh, and just to forewarn you, <laughs> these, these may sting a bit uh, as, as we hear them because at some point each of us have fallen prey to many of these. Look at verse 3 and 4 again, speaking of these evildoers. He describes their words by saying, uh, verse 3 who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. Seeing our next type of wicked words 1b, sharp and bitter words. Notice he says, uh, who wet their tongue like swords, uh, which is like sharpening a sword. And then again, he says, bitter words like arrows. You know, we need to remember that David, uh, he's a wartime soldier, you know, commanding armies is David's specialty. Uh, And he compares uh, bitter words that pierce our hearts to sharp arrows that pierce bodies intended to kill. Showing us these wicked, sharp and bitter words are evil, and they can terribly hurt and wound. And then he goes on to describe these sharp and bitter words, what they look like. He says in verse four. It says shooting from ambush at the blameless and suddenly and without fear." And these, are the, these sharp and bitter words are the words that need to be controlled, but are not. These are the words spoken out of anger, spoken to heat in the moment uh, when you're under tension or under pressure, when you feel attacked or ambushed, and then you strike back suddenly and without fear as we, the language we see in the psalm. Not worried about the repercussions or the consequences. You know, it's kind of like if you have a, a hard, uh, if you got a hard snowball in your hand, speaking of snow in this Florida winter, um, and the person you're throwing it at does not want to have a snowball fight, but you throw it anyways, uh, not, for hum, not for fun, but just to hurt them. You know, that, that's what it's like when you when you post something on social media when you text or email someone or you embolden over a topic or issue, issue and you haven't prayed about it. Uh, and sought the Spirit's help in it, and you just hit post or send or just out of, out of haste. You know, and by no means am I saying don't stand, stand up for what is true and right. By all means, if anyone should be emboldened to stand up for what is true, it should be Christians. Because we have the ultimate source of truth at our disposal. But what I am saying is that what we say and how we say it are both very important. Because listen, we can speak truth all day long, but any truth void of the fruit of the Spirit does not honor the Lord. Truth spoken with bitter and sharp words can often do more damage than good. If I had to categorize you know, a lot of the common language in the news, in um, just some of social media, no matter the platform or news station from every side of the spectrum, um, you know, and unfortunately a lot in the larger, in the Christian world, uh, it would be bitter and sharp words. You know, just so many Words are easily spat and spewed under the barrage of truth without any hint of fruit of the Spirit. It just grieves me. Christians are called to speak in boldness and without fear, but boldness does not mean bitter and sharp. Biblical boldness should be mixed with patience, gentleness, and self-control. These are not at odds with each other. We absolutely do not hold back from speaking what is true, but we should be presenting hard truths with a velvet hammer of urgency that is baked in love and care for the person that is receiving it. You know, out of my, one of my many hopes and prayers for our church is we will be known for how we speak great truth in boldness, but seasoned with incredible grace. So much so that when people disagree with us, they're not turned away in coldness, but rather they're warmed to the truth of God's word because of our love and care. Right, may we be a people who speak important truth, seasoned with incredible grace and love. Look again at verse 5 and 6 to see our last subset of wicked words. Verse 5 says, They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares, secretly thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. So here we see a sense of stubbornness, like specifically towards evil. It says, They hold fast their evil purposes. There's a sense of uh, stubbornly holding on to evil. It says they talk of secretly uh, laying snares, setting traps, wanting to find ways to cause a stumbling. It says they search out injustice in verse 6. Some translations say a search for wickedness. And then uh, we see an affirmation of this search. And what seems to be a fair categorization of this from our uh, last type of uh, wicked words, as seen in the psalm, is 1C, prideful words. You know, there's a sense of holding on and making traps and uh, thinking that there's going to be no consequences and that we won't get caught. In a way, uh, saying something like, I'm right, I know it, I'm going to prove it uh, and make sure everyone else knows it. And to this, we must say it's wicked and evil. These are wicked words that tear down and can destroy. And we must continually, daily be on guard against this. Why? Because what David says at the end of verse 6, he says, for the inward mind and the heart of a man are deep. For the inward mind and the heart of a man are deep. And listen, (laughs) this is not meant as an encouragement. Like, oh, wow, you're like a really deep person. No, it's to show the evil in the depths of our hearts. Our hearts and minds are easily deceived. The nature of sin, which is all over this psalm, runs deep into our bones. It runs deep into our hearts and minds. Our speech and words, as we see here, can be secretly manipulative that can be sharp and bitter and prideful. And this is the point I want us to take away in the first section. Yes, we often speak wicked, sinful words, but it's not because our tongues by themselves are sinful. No, it's because our hearts and minds are sinful. This passage speaks most intently about the use of words, but our words are not the root problem in this passage. Sinful hearts are the root problem in this passage. Listen, what we say and also how we say it is a reflection of what's inside of our hearts. Both the content of what we say and the manner in which we say it and present it are both very important. When you tell your roommate or spouse something truthful, they may need to hear. But you do it in a way that pushes them away and doesn't draw them close. It's not helpful. Doing it out of anger or frustration is an indication of a heart problem. And this is something we have to be on guard against all the time just to kind of give you a lighthearted example of this, of what, you know, when I've witnessed someone do this really well, when when correction was needed, uh, but the manner in which it was said was done in love and kindness. But in this story, I was the one that needed a little correction. You know, when I was in college, uh, I lived in a house with four other guys. It was a three-story townhouse, uh, two guys upstairs. I was by myself on the main floor, and then two guys downstairs. And apparently. Everybody knew when I walked into the house, because when I shut the door, uh, it was significantly louder than everybody else. Uh, and when I walked down the steps and around the house, um, I was significantly louder than everybody else. Um, I guess I just have a heavy heel strike uh, when I walk, and I need to learn to walk around more gentle uh, when I sh- and, and be more gentle when I shut the doors. And because of this, I received a nickname when I was in college, Heavy Foot Hovis. I Hovis. I, I guess they thought I just kind of stomped around the house all day long. You know, but my last semester of my senior year, I had a job that I needed to get up uh, way earlier than I was used to, uh, and I struggled to wake up and be alert for work. And so I, every morning I would just wake up and start doing jumping jacks, you know, at 5 a.m. every morning to wake up. Well, the guy directly below me <laughs> one morning came up to my room at 5 a.m. Um, during my jumping jack section, section uh, and said, So kindly, I, I mean, I. <laughs> I mean, I remember so vividly of how, of how kind he was. He was like, hey, brother, like I'm a pretty light sleeper. Um, it sounds like a herd of elephants are running, <laughs> are running through our house. Whatever you're doing, can you, just, can you please stop? I, you know, I haven't slept past 5 a.m. in several weeks. Um, I mean, he was like so gentle and kind when he told me that I sounded like a herd of elephants. Like, I was so impressed. Now, uh, comparing anybody to a herd of elephants typically isn't the most loving thing, Uh, but at the time, in that setting, as a 22-year-old guy doing jumping jacks at 5 a.m., waking up the entire house, uh, it was the honest truth that I needed to hear, uh, and the way in which I was told was incredibly gracious. Now, the other three roommates, they were not so gracious to me, but um, the guy who directly below me was impacted the most. Uh, he He gently corrected me and just showed me, you know, there's something called coffee. So that's when I became a coffee drinker. Um, and I bring that up as a lighthearted illustration. But I think we can agree that in many, in many situations, uh, they're not so lighthearted, uh, where it's not as easy to be kind in the way we present hard truths. You know, and what's inside of our heart is quickly revealed simply by what we speak and how we speak it in difficult, intense situations. You know, this concept is all over the Bible. We see it most directly in Luke 6.45. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is said with our words, both what we say and how we say it, is a reflection of what's inside of us. Listen, the sin of our speech is the fruit of the sin in our heart. And what we see so clearly in Psalm 64 is that one of the fruits of a sinful heart are wicked words, words that hurt and wound, and are destructive. In fact, because of these wicked words that come out of our sinful hearts, just as we see in verse 7, punishment and judgment is earned. It's what we deserve. And David knows that God deals and punishes sin and evil, which is what we see so plainly in verse 7. David speaks with confidence, knowing that God will do with these evil evildoers that speak against him. He says in verse 7, but God shoots arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly. You know, I've wrestled with this a lot this week. You know, it can seem very troubling at first that God would shoot his arrow back at these evil people and wound them suddenly. Just but just follow me here for a second because David knows that God must deal with sin and evil. David knows that God will give them as they deserve. Why? Because God is just. He must give the proper consequences that come with sin and evil. And we know that David's evil enemies shot bitter words like arrows at David. And so David knows that a just God, uh, just God that protects his people will give a just penalty to his enemies. Why? Because sin must be dealt with. And then we see what the just consequence is in verse 8. It says, they are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. It says their tongues will be turned against them and all who see them will wag their heads. God's penalty for these wicked words and shaming was to turn their tongues against them. But do you know what else seems strange? It's how this psalm ends. Look what it says in verse 9 and 10. It says, Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. David here at the end of Psalm 64 is rejoicing over the ruin of his enemy, of his enemies. And it's like, should, should we do this? Like, sh- should we, should we be rejoicing over our enemies ruin? And the, am- and the answer is absolutely no. We should be grieved. In fact, Jesus told us to love our enemies Jesus said in Matthew 5, 38 to 40, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And so it seems like Psalm 64 and what we just read out of Matthew 5 are at odds with each other. In Psalm 64, God gave David's enemies what they deserved, kind of like giving an eye for an eye, and David rejoiced over it. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus basically said, if someone wrongs you, then let them wrong you again. Like, that's pretty crazy and radical. Jesus shocked the world when he said that. And maybe you're asking or thinking, well, does the Bible contradict itself? Like, like what do we do with this? And let me assure you, the Bible absolutely does not contradict itself. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The Bible interprets itself and clarifies itself because do you know what the major difference is between what we see in Psalm 64 and Matthew 5? The distinct difference in the two are Jesus Christ. The difference is the gospel. Listen, this is why we say here at New City Church that the gospel changes everything. The gospel completely changes the way we should read Psalm 64, because in the gospel, we're introduced to a scandalous and a radical grace. Because Psalm 64, without seeing this through the lens of the gospel, is one big lament with David rejoicing over the ruin and shame of his enemies. But because of the gospel lens of Psalm 64, when someone speaks wicked words, when we speak wicked words, we don't turn and speak more wicked words. No, we speak number two gospel words. In a world that is bombarded with news channels and news feeds that are divisive and can't be trusted, brothers and sisters, we have good news written down from the mouth of God that can be trusted as a sure and steady source that does not divide but unites, restores, and redeems. This is the incredible hope of our passage. This seemingly strange psalm that seems so full of vengeance and retribution is so full of gospel language. So I want to walk back through this psalm, looking at it through the lens of the gospel, because Jesus is the hero of Psalm 64, because Jesus came in and did to his enemies what David could not do. If you're not a Christian here today, if you're watching online and you understand the weight of sin and evil, if you understand the tragic nature of our wicked words that deserve the judgment of God, that reveal our inner heart problem, if that's you, I pray that you would, as verse 9 says, that you would ponder what God has done. That you would think and consider these incredible gospel words. That you would hear of God's incredible grace that is offered to you. And then for the Christian today, as we go back through this psalm, I pray that you would be so encouraged by remembering this today as if this was the first time you've ever heard it, that you would be surprised by the gospel again and how good it is today and how uh, it can, uh, your affections would God for God will be stirred by the goodness, by his goodness and glory and his remarkable grace. And so pay attention here to these gospel words. When Jesus made his way to the cross, he had evildoers all around him planning secret plots against him who were speaking and screaming with sharp, bitter, prideful, wicked words, just like David's enemies were doing to him. There he was as they were shooting these words at him who was blameless, and they were doing it suddenly and without fear, just like we see in this psalm. And again, uh, just like we see in the psalm with David, the crowds turned on Jesus As an ambush, those who were crucifying Jesus were holding fast to their evil purposes, trying to trap Jesus with his words. And as they put Jesus on trial, they were searching out injustice, believing, as it says in the psalm, that they had accomplished a diligent search. Seeing so clearly, as we see in Psalm 64, 6, that the inward mind and the heart of a man are deep. And as we see the crowds turn against both Jesus and David, they shot evil, bitter, harsh words, seeking to destroy both of their lives, plotting evil schemes against them, full of so many evil purposes. But what we see in verse 7 of Psalm 64 is the surprise of the gospel. It's the incredible surprise of the grace of God. This is where we see Jesus do what David could not do. Because you see, Jesus could have shot his arrows at the crowd, just like David knew God would do for him. Jesus had an entire legion of angels at his disposal. He could have used every word against them, bringing them all to ruin, turning their own tongues against them so that all who see them would wag their heads against them, just like we see in Psalm 64. But he didn't. Jesus didn't do that. Instead of displaying his full wrath against his enemies and giving what they deserve, giving them an eye for an eye, Jesus decided rather to display crazy and scandalous grace. Because in Psalm 64 7, we saw God shoot his arrow at David's enemies, with God giving them in return what they deserve. And they were brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them, as it says in Psalm 64 8, with everyone wagging their heads, shaming them what we know of the cross of Christ, what we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ that displays such incredible grace, this scandalous, unbelievable grace, is that instead of Jesus asking God to give his enemies what they deserve for their actions, instead of them receiving the punishment from God, rather, Jesus took the punishment for them. Jesus took their retribution. Jesus took what they deserved. If you're not a Christian here today, if you're listening, I hope that you would hear how great that is for you. Because of Jesus' enemies being suddenly wounded by the arrow of God's wrath, as we see in Psalm 64, 7, Jesus was wounded in their place. And so what this means for each of us listening here today is that instead of you and me, who without Jesus are considered God's enemies, that deserve to be struck by the arrow of God's wrath, the incredible good news of the gospel for you and for me is that instead of you and me being struck by the arrow of God's wrath when we speak wicked words, rather, Jesus was the one who was struck with God's arrow. Jesus was struck instead of you and me. Instead of Jesus' enemies being brought to ruin with their tongues turned against them, with onlookers wagging their head as we see with David in Psalm 64.8, rather, Jesus was brought to ruin as the whole world turned against him. Seeing as we see in the Gospels, those who passed by him wagged their head at him, derided him, shamed him, and mocked him. But as we know, Jesus did not stay in the grave. With the world against him, staying in shame. No, Jesus defeated sin and death and rose from the grave, so that now all who hear this incredible news will fear, just as Psalm sixty-four nine says, that all mankind fears, and that they will tell what God has brought about and ponder what He has done. And so now, we can see Psalm sixty-four ten as rejoicing knowing that the righteous who are found in Jesus Christ can rejoice and find the incredible refuge that is found in Jesus, leading everyone who believes in him to be upright in heart, exalting to worship to God, just as David said at the end of the psalm. But instead of just David rejoicing, Now everyone who believes in Jesus Christ can truly rejoice and exult. If you do not know Jesus today, I pray that you would consider following Jesus in faith and be led to worship him today. The massive difference in Psalm 64 7 where God shoots his arrows at his enemies is Jesus. The arrow of God's wrath either goes on you or it goes on Jesus. Jesus is the distinct difference between rejoicing in praise or being led to ruin. And so what would it be? I pray that you would put your faith in Christ today. And then for the Christian here today, I pray that you would be reignited to worship and tell of God's marvelous works. Yes, the inward mind and heart of a man are deep, but I hope that you'll see that although our hearts are deeply entrenched in sin, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes deeper than our sin. The grace and mercy and kindness of God runs infinitely deeper than the depth of our sin. Our sin is deep, but the gospel has the power to heal and redeem and restore much deeper than our sin could ever go. Christian, don't miss that today. Jesus already overcame the depth of sin and death by conquering the grave. And so we can be confident that he can also overcome the depth of sin in our hearts that calls us to speak wicked words. Allowing our hearts to be changed, turning wicked hearts into rejoicing and forgiven hearts. Because brothers and sisters, when a wicked heart is changed, transformed, and forgiven, and is led to rejoicing, a heart that is restored, instead of speaking wicked words, it rather delights in sharing gospel words, to tell what God has brought about and to ponder what he has done. God takes the wounded and the weary on the sidelines sends them to the infirmary of God's grace, and then shoots them out like arrows, proclaiming the message of salvation for all of mankind to hear. When we delight in the gospel, knowing we have wicked hearts that have been transformed by Jesus, giving us new hearts every waking hour of every day, when our wicked hearts reveal themselves through our wicked words, whether it's in what we say or in how we say it, we can take it before God and know we've been forgiven, that our retribution was paid in full at the cross, that Jesus took what we deserve, and that we can walk in unashamed confidence and fearlessness. Not as a a freedom and a license to sin, but as a freedom and a license to rejoice, knowing that we haven't been brought to ruin because we stand fully forgiven at the cross. Not only that, as we can continue to go deeper when our brothers and sisters around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ for whom Christ died for, speak wicked words, insensitive, hurtful words, confusing words, prideful, sharp, or or bitter words, words we may not agree with, whether intentionally or unintentionally, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can stand beside them, forgive them, worship with them, pray with them, and still be good friends because they too stand forgiven. When we know and understand the scandalous grace of the gospel that we have experienced in Jesus Christ, Doing what Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, where he says we love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, all of a sudden, when we remember what Jesus has done for us through the power of the Holy Spirit, God equips us and releases us not to seek retribution from our enemies, but to rather display the radical grace and forgiveness that Jesus displays and gives us in the gospel. Listen, wicked words are baked in bitterness and anger. Where gospel words are baked in prayer while understanding the radical grace displayed through a bloody cross. When we know of a bloody cross that forgives us, we in turn speak gospel words, not wicked, bitter, harsh, and prideful words. And so I want to close with this. You know, I don't think it's ironic that we come to today with Psalm 64, when today represents a day where wicked and harsh words have historically just been thrown around. Today actually represents two different things. Um, Today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday as a call to protect the unborn while also Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. It's a call for us to remember a few of uh, the many things we as Christians should stand up for. We should radically defend the lives of the unborn and we should radically continue continue to advocate for racial reconciliation. When we're reminded of the history of our country as we are today on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, Reminded of the tragic nature of the history of racial strife throughout our country, knowing that still to this day, one of the most racially divided times in our country is during Sunday morning church services. We can have hope knowing that New City Church can be an advocate to do whatever it takes to build a bridge and bridge the gaps so that the ethnic makeup of our church community will better represent our surrounding community. And then also, on the exact same weekend... On the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, this is an incredible reminder for us to fight for lives specifically inside the womb that are in danger of not making it out of the womb. Knowing the grave injustice that that, that worldwide 40 to 50 million abortions happen every year. We have a call as a church to stand up and protect the unborn life, to graciously walk alongside mothers and fathers who are struggling and to help them and support them. And when they choose life for their baby and after their baby is born, Brothers and sisters, we can speak and act into, into really hard situations. And we can speak really hard truths with incredible confidence and boldness while baked in humility and love and grace. Because as we know from the gospel I've seen in Psalm 64, we have a gospel that displays this remarkable grace, the transforming, forgiving, and uniting grace that was displayed through Jesus Christ. My hope and prayer for today is that we would provide gospel words for the broken and the weary, to build bridges of hope and trust and forgiveness, showing and telling our world what God has brought about, causing the world to ponder. Because this is what the gospel of grace does. New City Church, we have an incredible truth in Jesus Christ for the world to ponder. That displays remarkable grace and forgiveness. You know, I pray that as a church, this incredible gospel would be our highest aim as we continue in 2021, praying for God to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. If you do not know this great truth, I pray that you would. If you do know Jesus, I pray that his remarkable forgiving grace, I pray that it would be so sweet for you today. Let's pray. God, we're a broken church for broken people. Father, we need uh, continual forgiveness and grace. We We need to see and experience and believe your continual mercy that you've provided for us. Father, we pray that we will be a church that continues to display your incredible grace. Father, would you meet us today as we continue to worship? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.